There we go. <laughs> well, Brother Dave's setting the bar high. <laughs> and uh, I stand before you in the fear of God. I, it's good to be here in many, many ways, and yet I feel very, what should I say? I'm a little nervous. <laughs> um, I'm not very old, as you can see, and I have never had revival meetings before. So it's kind of an interesting concept, and the fact is that I grew up in a church that didn't have revival meetings. So the concept of revival meetings and what all they entail is, is in the last couple of years, relatively new to me. So, so we'll be operating on what the Spirit says and directs, not on experience tonight. <laughs> so my name is Leon, of course. My wife, Lynette, is here. She's in the back. We have three girls. So I'm now outnumbered four to one in the house. <laughs> We're from Strasburg Congregation there in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and we, we invite you there. Anytime you get a chance, make sure you're coming to the right Strasburg. The other one's Strasburg, I think, <laughs> in Pennsylvania. But uh, we'd be glad to have you there, and we uh, definitely enjoyed Claire being there a number of years ago and, and sharing with us. And so... It, it's a beautiful thing that the people of God can go here and there and everywhere and come to a place of worship, and we're like brothers and sisters. Amen. Brothers and sisters, even though I don't know you, I do know you. I know what you believe. I know what you stand for. Brothers and sisters in Christ. So I was thinking about the first night of revival meetings and, and what it entails. What should we set how shall we lay the foundation for a week of revival meetings? And the thought that came to my mind is to speak about the Trinity. So tonight we're going to speak about an aspect of God. Tomorrow it'll be Jesus Christ. And Wednesday, Lord willing, it'll be about the Holy Spirit. So tonight we want to look, about, look into the subject of our accountability to God. And first of all, tonight, if we're going to talk about accountability to God, we first of all must believe that there is a God. Because if we believe tonight that there is no God, I don't think we'd be here. If we believe tonight that there is no God, at the end of life, we die like a dog, and that's the end. That's the end. But that's not what this week of meetings is about. We believe there is a God. And that's evidenced by you being here tonight. Maybe an atheist snuck in the door. I don't know. <laughs> but let's, let's keep coming. And we'll see this week the, the power of God and the presence of God, I believe. So we believe in a God tonight. And consequently, if we believe in a God, there comes a responsibility and there comes an accountability if we believe in that God. And I believe that's the foundation for this week. And I know I, I thought about this sermon a good bit and I thought, well, I'm going to hit him with a a judgmental sermon right out the gate. But I'm not going to apologize for that. That's the gospel. You know, many times in the, the Bible, the sermons were very pointed and, and pointed to judgment. Accountability to God. You know, accountability is, is something that the flesh resists. Do you ever think about that? We don't, we don't like accountability. We don't like accountability to our brothers and sisters Maybe children don't like their accountability to their parents at times, but it's something that our flesh resists, and maybe it's because we don't like being caught in the question. 
We don't like people doubting our motives and our intentions. And maybe we don't like people pointing out the sin in our life. So we resist this thing of accountability. And we'd like to think that we can slide by in life with nobody holding us accountable. Just sliding by. Nobody calling us into account for our actions and our decisions here on this earth. And I believe tonight that many, many people in the world have deceived themselves in thinking that they can do just that. That day after day, week after week, year after year, they can slide by. And they'll never face accountability for their actions here on this earth. But tonight we want to look at why that is not true. Tonight there's three words I want to, I want to look at just briefly here. The first word is responsibility, and then accountability, and after that the judgment. And we'll look at a passage here that brings out these three words and how they're related. You see, the word responsibility has the idea that there is some culpability. And if you know what the word culpability means, it means if you fail in your responsibility, you're at fault. You're liable. That's the word responsibility. And the word accountability simply means the process of being called into question, to give an account for that responsibility, whether it failed, whether it succeeded. And then, of course, judgment is a sentence that's pronounced after the accountability is, has taken place. Let's turn to Genesis 3 tonight for the basis for this sermon. I've titled the message, Where Art Thou? Thinking about the accountability of God, Genesis 3, Where Art Thou? Let's read from verses 6. Down to 13. I believe we know the account well. Account of Adam and Eve. Genesis 3 verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from, among the, from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and Eve and said unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. We'll stop reading there. This is an interesting passage to me. This is where we find guilt in the, in the hiding from God. And I see here there's a confrontation that is happening here. Adam and Eve are walking in the cool of the day. And God comes down from heaven. And he too wants to walk with them in the cool of the day. And they hid. They hid amongst the trees. And God comes down and he calls unto Adam and he says, Where art thou? Now isn't that amazing? The almighty God, the omniscient God, comes down to the garden and he can't find Adam, right? He can't find him. Do you believe that? 
Did God know where Adam was? Was Adam really hiding behind the trees? No, that's not why God came down and asked, where art thou? I think there was another reason why God came down and asked Adam, where art thou? We can't play hide and seek with God. There is no way we're going to get away with that. No matter where Adam was hiding in the Garden of Eden, God knew where he was. But he still asked the question, where art thou? The reason I believe God asked him that question because God was calling Adam into account. You know, your parents do this sometimes. They don't ask you direct questions. Well, Johnny, did you steal the candy out of the cupboard yesterday? No. They don't always do that. And God did, did the same thing. He said, where art thou? And Adam had to explain what happened. He said, I heard thy voice, and I was afraid, and I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, well, why did all this happen? See how God was doing this? He's calling Adam into account. And that's our God. Our God will call us into account. Creation is accountable to the creator. You see, that's true in all instances in our world today. The creation is accountable to the creator. God created Adam and Eve. God created the world we live in. And we are accountable to him because he's our creator. Men and angels, the Bible teaches, are accountable to God because he is their creator. And we are called to honor God and his will in our lives. That is our responsibility. Remember I talked about responsibility, then accountability, and then judgment. Adam and Eve were given a responsibility. They said, you take care of, God said, you take care of the garden. You can eat of all these trees save one. That was their responsibility. And they failed in their responsibility, and God called them into account. That was their accountability to God. And, of course, man has a free will to choose, and they chose wrong. The second point about the accountability of God is that he has the authority to cause into accountability. You see, accountability can only happen if someone has the authority to do it, whether that's a parent over a child or an employer over the employee. Accountability can only happen if someone has the authority to, to call you into account. And God had the authority to do that. God holds us accountable because he is our creator, and God holds us accountable because he has the authority to do so. And I believe there's a third reason why God holds us accountable tonight. And that is because he loves us. Now, we've been talking about the negative side of God holding us accountable. But God holds us accountable because he loves us. You see, God came down to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And he knew before he got there what had happened. But God loved to fellowship with Adam and Eve. And God desired reconciliation in that. You know, many times in our lives, God makes the first move. Think about that. God makes the first move. Think about David, who sinned. Who was it that made the first move? Well, God was. He sent the prophet Nathan to call David into account for his actions. God loves us so much. He really does. Think about Saul, who failed to do his job there with the Amalekites. What did God do? He sent Samuel to call him into account. And tonight, we, we're in a fellowship of brothers and sisters. Sometimes God will send a brother or a sister to call you into account because he loves us. God makes the first move in many, many times. In all, in, you may as well say in all times. The Bible teaches that. 
that we respond to the call of God. And that's the mercy and the long-suffering of God. He gives us a chance to repent. He asked Adam, where art thou? Not because he couldn't find him behind the bushes. He asked Adam, where art thou? Because he wanted Adam to explain and to confess and to repent. So when we look at a week of meetings, nothing in this week will do us any good if we don't understand the fact that someday we will be held accountable. There's no point in having meetings otherwise. Well, furthermore, in Scripture, the Bible says that all men will be held accountable. And we have these verses in Romans 14. Romans 14, verses 9 through 13. It says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be both Lord, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. That's pretty conclusive. Everybody is going to be called into account before God. Every knee, every tongue, and every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. This is the moment of truth that's coming. Whether at the time we die or whether the Lord comes back, somewhere in our future is this moment of truth that we will have to deal with, which no one can escape. In the day of judgment, every person, whether black or white, male or female, rich or poor, young or old, bond or free, must render to God a personal account of his life. What are we accountable to God for? What's he going to hold us accountable for? And I just have a few points tonight, and I'm sure there's more. But the first one that came to my mind is we will be held accountable for what we know. Simple little verse in scripture that we've learned from little up. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. There's other verses that we can point to as well. At one point Jesus was preaching and he told, I believe it was the Pharisees, he said, um, if you wouldn't have known these things that I'm telling you about, you wouldn't have been held accountable for I'm putting it in my own words. But he said, since you know them, you are in sin. (laughs) So we are accountable for what we know. And boy, do we know a lot. We know a lot. At least I do. I've been taking the church since I can't remember. Every Sunday. And we've been taught the truth. And we've been taught about who God is. And we will be held accountable for what we know. Adam and Eve were held accountable for what they know. I don't know how much they knew. But God held them accountable for what they knew. And you can say tonight, but what about the unbeliever? What about the person who has never heard of God? Well, what does the Bible say in Romans 1.20? He says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I believe tonight every man and woman on the face of this earth will be accountable to God. Because he says in this verse, all we have to do is look at creation. 
and it reveals a God. And I, I've, been, I've been reinvigorated, if I can say it that way, uh, about this whole fact because recently we've, we've been having Sunday evening topics on nature and learning to know God through nature. And I, I've been blown away by our God in nature. I, it, it's been, the last one we had was a subject on the ocean. And the brother came in and he did a tremendous job in just 20 minutes explaining to us the ocean. I'm telling you folks, I don't see how you study science and you study creation and you come up with the fact that this stuff just happened in some flash and boom and that was the end of it. I just don't understand. We are without excuse. Just looking around us, we are without excuse. Well, we are accountable for the words we speak. In Matthew 12, verse 34 to 37, Jesus said this. He said, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And that verse makes me cringe. Because when I walk into society and I hear the words that they're saying, the swearing, the taking the name of God in vain, I cringe because I know this verse. And someday they will give an account for what they said. What about for us? The same is true for us. What are we saying? What are the words we're saying? Jesus says that it's the treasure of our heart. That's where these things come from. And that is why it's important. Because it shows us where our heart is. When God comes walking in the cool of the day, what will you be caught saying? What will you be caught saying? Where art thou in your speech? <laughs> I, you know, I believe sometimes Mennonite boys can have some bad habits in speech as well. <laughs> you know, it's the heart condition. What co it's inside comes out. We will be held accountable for the words we speak. We will also be held accountable for our actions. Interesting thought in 1 Samuel 3, or 1 Samuel 2, 3, where Hannah, I believe this was her prayer of thanksgiving. She says this, talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Actions are weighed. And that's not the only place in scripture where this thought of actions being weighed is taken into account, or is mentioned. Some more scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 11, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So we are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive judgment, for the things done in the body, our actions, what we're doing. Also have some verses in Revelation 20, verses 12 to 15. This is the final 
judgment, I believe. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let me ask you the question tonight. When God comes walking in the cool of the day, what will you be doing? How will you be walking? Where art thou in your life? You see, these, these verses in Revelation call us into account for our actions. But there's a beautiful part of that. I'll mention it briefly. The Christian who's been covered by the blood, whose name is found in that book of life, will be saved. That's the hope. Their names will be written in that book of life. Another, another aspect of our lives that we'll be held accountable for is our teaching. And this is for all of us preachers here tonight. Preachers, deacons, bishops, Sunday school teachers, parents. What does the Bible say in James 3.1? My brethren, be not many masters. What that means is be not many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. He is placing a heavy emphasis on teachers. There, we are going to be held accountable for what we teach and what we preach. How you train your children, I believe. Of course, we have a verse in Hebrews 13, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And you know, I'm not sure how all this is going to be carried out in judgment. I don't understand all these verses. How is it? Are we going to stand before God and he's going to go down through the list of people that we or the list of times we failed to teach them. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I do know the scripture is true and that it says that we will be held accountable for what we teach and what we preach. And I know for us as, that are in the ministry, it places a heavy weight on us. We don't take this lightly. Someday we have to give an account as to whether we preach the truth or not. And so when God comes walking in the cool of the day, what will we be teaching? What will we be preaching? And tonight here at the last part of the message, here the last half of the message, we want to look at another aspect of this being held accountable. Accountability is only as good as the certainty of being held accountable. <laughs> is that a tongue twister? Can you wrap your mind around that? Accountability is only good as the certainty that it will happen. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is here in this world, we can escape accountability. We can escape the accountability of our parents. We can escape the accountability of our school teacher. We can escape the accountability of our employer, or even the government. The reason being is that humans are imperfect. We are limited by location. We're limited by knowledge and by understanding. But let's face it tonight. God has none of those limitations. I want to emphasize tonight the certainty that you will be held accountable. God has none of those limitations that we have as people. And facing God is the certainty of all certainties, if I may say it that way. That is the summation of certainty. We will face God. And I have a number of points of why that is true. 
The first point I have here is that we cannot hide from the almighty, omniscient, omnipresent God. We cannot hide from him. Adam and Eve were not hiding behind the trees. God could see right through those trees, clear as glass. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24, asks this question. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord? And I want you to visualize tonight a circle. And this is the presence of God. God says here that he inhabits, he fills heaven and earth. Another place in scripture says he inhabits, he inhabits all of eternity. You and I are inside that circle. We cannot escape from the presence of God. And let me tell you something. Tonight, that is precious to the saints. That is precious to the saints. But in the mind of the sinner, that is pure terror. <laughs> that is pure terror. He cannot escape because the presence of God surrounds him. No matter which way you run, you're going to run into God. No matter which direction you run into. But for us as saints, it is precious because God is there. He's with us. He's present with us. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou com compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. What does God know about you? God knows when you lay down. God knows when you get up. God knows your thoughts. He knows the path you're walking in. He knows your ways. He knows your words. He knows it all together. God knows you. Better than you know yourself, if I may say so. God understands all things about us, the past, the present, and the future. And we cannot escape that kind of God. We cannot get away from that kind of God. There is a certainty that we will be held accountable because God knows us. And I know I'm reading a lot of scripture tonight. <laughs> Another one in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 5. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not here... Yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. And this verse talks about darkness. There's a lot of men in our world that hide things in darkness. Now, I looked up this statistic, and I can't believe this number is this. I thought it would be a lot more, but half of the crimes committed in America happen in the dark. And I thought surely it would be a lot more than that. But apparently our society has become so brazen we can now do crimes in the middle of the day. <laughs> that says something about us as a society, right? 
Half of them do crimes at night. Well, in my corner of the world, most of the bad stuff happens at night. And isn't it strange that men love darkness? And if you have an understanding of God here tonight, it's foolish. It's foolish to think that the darkness is going to cover you. In fact, back there in Psalm 139, I'll start at verse 11 there and keep on reading. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. And the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. And whosoever was not, I think I got another statement in there. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. It didn't make any difference with God. Light of the day or the darkness of the night, God sees you. And there is a certainty to that accountability. The policeman may not see you. <laughs> and he may not have any witnesses. But God does. It's irrelevant to God whether it's light or dark. It's just as if he was holding a spotlight on your life. No matter where you go, God has a spotlight on your life. He can see clearly. How about us tonight? Do we hide things in the night? Do we hide things in our heart, in our life, that we say God can't see? Another verse in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. This is a familiar one. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It's, it's naked. It's revealed. It's exposed to this creator God, this almighty God who will hold us accountable. And tonight, if we're not living the way we ought to be living, that will strike fear in your heart. Because it's revealed. It's opened with whom we have to do. And he says here in this that the word of God will do that for us. The word of God will dissect that. And I pray that as we go through this week, that is the power of the word of God in conjunction with the power of the Holy Spirit. He will divide. And I don't know why it comes to my mind. I remember dissecting animals in high school biology class. <laughs> That's what I think of. To the dividing of soul and spirit down to the bones and the marrow and the ligaments and the tendons. That's what you did with those frogs and those animals, whatever you, <laughs> you dissected. That's the word of God. He will expose you, open you up. Then some verses in Revelation 6, verses 15 to 17. It talks about the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? My friends, there is a time coming when the rich men of the world, the great men of the world, the chief captains and the mighty men, they would rather commit suicide than face the Almighty God. They'd rather than the mountains would fall on them and the rocks than to be called into account for their deeds. And I want to emphasize tonight, we cannot escape from God. There is a certainty that we will be held accountable that is above all certainties of things in this world. 
We will not escape. Adam couldn't hide in the bushes. Achan couldn't hide in his tent. And Jonah couldn't run from God. God stopped them. God called them into account. And the same is true for us. The last section here we want to look at is we cannot escape the judgment of God. Remember we talked about responsibility and then accountability and then there's judgment. And in many, many ways, God treats us tonight like we treat our children. <laughs> we call our children, we give them responsibility. We call them into account about their responsibility. And then if they have failed, we call them into judgment or we pronounce judgment. When I read the scriptures, it's so amazing to me how many times God is a father God to us. And he, he works the same way. We cannot escape the judgment of God. And we know today that many, many people try to escape the judgment of other men. And I, I'm fascinated by, by prison escapes. I don't, I don't know if you have a fascination for that. These men that get out of prison. And, and how fascinating it is. How much they will do to get away from their judgment. That is coming their way. Well, there's, there was a prison back in the day called Alcatraz. It's an island off the coast of California. 19, I think it was operating from 1934 to 1963. 36 men tried to escape this prison. None of them made it, at least that we know of, because there was a mile of choppy, cold ocean water between that island prison and the seashore. But... Three men in 1962 escaped through the vents and they got to the, the seashore, the, the ocean shore there, and they launched a crude raft and off they went. How did they do it? They literally made dummies to look like themselves, put them in their beds, and then they climbed 30 feet above them on pipes to get through the vents. And then they made it out on top and down they went. And we don't know if they got across or not. It's kind of, you know, a folk tale. Maybe, maybe they did get across. And may, some people believe they did. Some people believe they didn't. That just goes to show the effort that man will try to go to to escape judgment. They had these dummies created. I don't know how they managed to get it done. They went to a lot of work to escape the judgment of man. But if we're going to look at the accountability of God tonight, we need to look at one thing, and that is this question. Can we escape the judgment of God? Can we escape? And the answer is no. Now I want to read some verses out of Amos 9. Amos 9, the first five verses of that chapter. And I want to think carefully about what these verses say. Because it, it is a message of judgment. Amos 9, 1 to 5, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. And he said, smite the lintel of the door, that the post may, may shake and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. And now listen to this. Though they dig into hell, thence shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence I will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. And the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth the land, and it shall melt. And all that dwell therein shall mourn, and it shall rise up holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. 
And when I read that passage, the thing that stands out to me is there is no escape from the judgment of God. No escape. We will be caught into account. We will be caught into judgment. 1 Peter 4, 17-19, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. That's a verse for us. If judgment begins here, and tonight you are unsaved, you haven't made a commitment to Jesus Christ, where will you end up? If God judges the righteous, wholly and completely and where will you end up if you obey not the gospel of God Romans 2 verses 1 to 12 and I'm, I'm re- I know I'm reading a lot of scripture but the scriptures where, where the truth is therefore thou art inexcusable O man this is Romans 12 or Romans 2 1 to 12 I'm sorry therefore thou art inexcusable O man whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do good things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first, and also the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law also shall perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Again, we see here, do you think you can escape the judgment of God? Do you think that you're judging other men for their judgment? for whatever they're doing, and you're doing the same things, and you think that you're going to escape that judgment from God. And this scripture says, no, you won't. You will not escape the judgment of God. And in conclusion here tonight, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That's the conclusion of the whole matter. Where art thou tonight? Where art thou in in your knowledge of God? Where art thou in your speech? Where art thou in your actions? What are you doing? How will God find you when he comes down in the cool of the day and calls your name? Where will you be? Will you be hiding behind trees? Will you be running from God? Will the presence of God bring you joy or will it bring you terror? Think about that. Where art thou tonight?
We'll have prayer, and then we'll have a, a short invitation. We'll have a verse of song at that time. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you tonight that you are our Father. And Lord, we come before you at the beginning of this week of meetings, and we want to think about our accountability to you.